spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Ghosts are real. Welcome back, listeners, to 31 for 31, a Halloween-themed podcast to keep you in the spirit the entire month of October. Welcome to episode 10. Today we are reviewing 2015's Crimson Peak, directed by Guillermo del Toro. It is a gothic horror romance that is set at the turn of the century from the 1800s into the 1900s. That That one. Century. One of the best. In case you were confused. Because railroads. I think turn of the century is just that one now, but we'll see what happens in a few years. Maybe we'll find a new turn. Railroads and were coming it, through. They uh <laughs> McKinley got Clay shot was being mined within plus or minus ten years. I know when Yeah, that it was, was a it was a happening time. I'm gonna say that McKinley was shot. Daniel in Plainview 18, was uh, in California finding oil. It was the age of innocence. It was. I, I think McKinley it was, was the shot best of in 1896. Times. It might have been the worst of times. Let me. <laughs> I just need to make sure. Hold on. I bear with us, listeners. This is important to me. <laughs> I was wrong. He was alive <laughs> for so much longer. Now he died the year of this film. <laughs> why? Why did I do this to myself? This film takes place in 1901. He died in 1901. Yeah. So if you need to ground yourself and be like, "When does this movie take place?" Just remember where you were when McKinley got shot. Remember that <laughs> everyone does. Yeah. Everyone does. Where were you? And this film stars Mia Wasikowska along with Tom Hiddleston, Jessica Chastain, and you got a little bit of Charlie Hunnam in there as well. Charlie starts Hunkum. you off. Yeah, and my dude, my dude, Burn Gorman. (laughs) Burn Gorman, Jim Beaver. (laughs) Honestly, so so suspicious of this guy whenever he's in a movie, and this is the first time he's only a good actor, like a positive force. (laughs) Yeah. So hey, he showed up in. uh, I mean, he's still a little creepy. Pacific Rim. He's only in there twice. He just has a a certain. He does have a strange, or I I don't want to say strange, but a very recognizable. look to him he's got a mean mug he kind of has a mean mug i mean this is kind of a comeback together for a bunch of pacific rim people yeah and this is in the same universe as pacific rim until proven proven (laughs) well only only the netflix animated series right it's that it's that universe the the p r a s c u yes all right which is now part of warner brothers and when they were digging for the crimson brick mold or whatever oh they dug that's how they opened the portal oh my gosh it all ties together no that's actually rain of dragons isn't that the plot oh yeah rain of fire rain Rain of fire fire. yeah right right right. you know i mean it's the best dragon it's a a good trope oh we dug too deep (laughs) man all right i'm gonna bring us back here (laughs) just like the film does and the way a lot of guillermo del toro films do they have rain of dragons they have a sick (laughs) not rain of fire (laughs) all right we start off which is actually at the end of the film, as Guillermo del Toro likes to do. A lot of gothic romances do that as well. It's a bit of a trope, but the circular nature of storytelling and love and these types of films. Mm. And 
we learn a little bit about ghosts and we learn that there's going to be some ghosts in this film and that they present themselves when apparently they feel like it. We've been debating on this off the pod, whether it's when the people need or whether when it's the ghost wants. And if there's a specific number of times they can appear or disappear, you know, if there's a clock strikes 12 type of thing. Is this Christmas? We're not getting too bogged down in the rules here. You know, it's okay. Ghosts, ghosts when they need to. But Coming back to this film, I hadn't seen it in a long time. The first time I saw it was when it was in theaters, and I remember that the trailer didn't really sell this film as much as it should have as a gothic romance, and it tried to really lean in on the horror elements. But if you know Guillermo del Toro, you know that ghosts are normally quote-unquote friendly in his films. They're there to assist the living. They're trapped for a reason. They need to be released, or they're trying to stop humans, which are usually the real terrible monsters in his films and so going back and revisiting the trailer i was like wow they definitely pitched this one wrong and now after this rewatch i've just come to really love this film even more it's it's one now each time i've watched it this is my third time that i just like it more and more totally i find it engrossing the production design is absolutely beautiful i just want to walk around that entire house i mean what house has snow in the middle of it coming down the grand staircase is just in, insert amazing. Cleveland joke here. <laughs> What's the shorthand? Oh, wow. Yeah, uphill both ways. I, I feel <laughs> the same way, Chris. I hadn't seen this movie since it had come out, so it was fun to revisit it, and I definitely enjoyed it more. Uh, I I liked it when I first saw it, but I definitely appreciated it more. I think it was just like a good sort of like, you know, I don't know whatever headspace I was in when I first watched it, but then coming back to it. I was really able to just appreciate everything going on beyond just the surface level story, uh, which is, like you said, very engrossing. Sort of these twins who are up to no good. Are they twins? There's go- or not twins, but brother and sister. Well, it just makes it easier for the later joke. <laughs> No, I think I'm just ages. I'm just Game of Thrones speaking in with the twin thing with the incest. Yeah, yeah. they're not twin twins. It's a bit of flowers in the attic. They're not twins, but they they were there together. Yeah. As children, they, they, they know they they knew each other. Let's say no, yeah, because she was fourteen, he was twelve when they murdered yeah. their mother. So that's yeah. a good Charlie Hunnam giving you all the details from the private investigator report. I love her. that. I love that this movie is truly a buffalo film. <laughs> for for twenty five, yeah, nineteen oh one. It was like, where do you got to be? Where's where's industry? Like you've already been to Milan. You've already been to London, like you've already like trodden the world for where the sharks are, where you're going to get an angel investment if you're these two, two people that Chris will describe. And you're like, we got to go to Buffalo, (laughs) squip right through that other port in that state. Who cares? You know, the money's in Buffalo. So I like that. Exactly. Exactly. That's I mean, that's where you go now. Pretty much. We're coming back to it. It's all Buffalo. And we start off. Once we've moved on from this little kind of opening prologue, we do move into Buffalo. It is now 1887, and we are following along with Edith Cushing, who is writing a book that is a ghost story. But as most women trying to write novels, she's being told to put some romance in it. And we get to meet the various characters of her town, her father, Charlie Hunnam, who who is the doctor. He is Dr. Alan McMichael. I'm not sure if that means anything, but it's a pretty solid name. You skip one. The 1887 
only one thing happens. Uh, yes. And then we cut to 1901. Kind of important. She sees a ghost, you know, like immediately <laughs> this movie's like, there are ghosts. So, yeah. And it's not only um, just a ghost there to scare her. It's the ghost of her mother who then comes and lays down in bed and cuddles her and whispers, beware of Crimson Peak. Oh, very good. Very good job. Which um, I think it took me three times to understand. <laughs> the, I remember the first time seeing this movie and she, and she whispers and I'm like, I don't know what would you say. Wait, wait, come back. Like it, that sounded important. Crimson Chin. But luckily, she, yeah. Yeah, luckily she does it a few more times. It does beg the question with the ghosts: is, is there? Is it? It always seems in these stories that the ghost is always the most terrifying thing ever. When the ghost appears in these films, particularly, they are not. They're very material and they're very goopy and very like slimy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which makes them memorable, but also makes them terrifying. And if you were a character, the daughter is like curled up, curled up into her bed, and her dead mother is wraps around her <laughs> it's like the, yeah the ghosts and where the ghosts kind of re- were inflicted with blows or different things they have blood kind of smoking and releasing out that i think is a really cool effect i just wish that the, i it's mean i guess it's just yeah <laughs> it just seems to be like the the, the, the eternal uh, drawback of being a ghost is that you cannot present yourself in any way beyond just horrifying <laughs> I, mean, I think one it's one basically the state your current body in is movie. in I'll tell you oh, yeah, later. <laughs> <laughs> i think it's the state your body is currently in yeah maybe your body your soul that's right because some of the, some of these are pretty decomposed once they appear and we've you know follow along with edith around once tom hiddleston's thomas sharp arrives into town and he the year of mckinley's shooting yes <laughs> and he is a baronet which I didn't really understand what that meant. He is like the holder of baroncy. He's like a title awarded from the British crown, which gives him the, I don't know, his land. They they kind of all make fun of him for it. I, I they're confused really about joke. it too. Like they, they don't, they're like, what's, what's that mean? The, yeah, I didn't, it's certainly something that's be above my head, and, but in the characters, they're obviously like making fun of him. I think, I'm guessing because of the feminine connotations, but I'm not, I'm never really clear. This joke slays in 1901. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's a deep one. Yeah. Yeah. A a baronet TikTok is going to be the new craze. And just from the start, I mean, we don't have to go through the whole plot. You've probably just watched the movie, but the production design for me just like completely sucked me in. I totally fell in love with it. I, I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro who always has incredible production design, working along with Thomas Sanders, who unfortunately died in 2017 after working on this and then um, Star Trek. He also worked on Hook and Saving Private Ryan. And here, I feel like you see his influences all over every frame. And it, it starts right from the beginning. It's it's pretty easy to have great production design with a, produ- with a uh, period drama, but I think this takes it to another level. The way the camera's moving through some of these buildings, the little toys that Thomas Sharp is presenting in his first meeting, the way the clay is just blood red in these bottles. And that was like one of the things that I remembered really liking initially, but on this rewatch, I really got pulled into the actual romance and that story a lot more, knowing now that it, it isn't just a horror film or it's not going for scares and it's a, you know, a 
full-on Guillermo del Toro film just really made me love it even more. Well, you can't talk about this movie without talking about Cary Fukunaga's Jane Eyre from 2011. Everybody's a fan, you know? Yeah, with Mia. Early Fassbender. Mia's in there too, (laughs) you know? It's hot. It's heavy. And it's, you know, the classic gothic adaptation where, you know, you think there's a ghost in the attic and it's really just, you know, just a good old crazy current wife. So that's a fun (laughs) romance there. And I, I, you know, just answers the question, what if that were a ghost? And it's pretty much a lot of the same kind of trickery that goes on and, and gaslighting that goes on. But this one has a little bit more of like the the siblings from Annie, the Tim Curry. <laughs> Does the, I mean, I think it also has a lot Jane of Eyre and you've got this. Yeah. With ghosts. I, and I feel like this has a lot of connections also to, I mean, everything Guillermo del Toro loves, but uh, The Shining and Psycho. I felt like played big parts. You have a lot of bathtubs and sh- and sinks and shaving and knife scenes. Reflections. You focus- yeah. Yeah. You have those focus on the reflections, the way that some of the ghosts move out of the bathtubs, the way they're some decomposing of the are- actively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, like the, the shot of Edith as she's going out into the snow just reminds me of Jack Torrance running out of the hotel into the big snowstorm. And I just feel like there's a bit of a a bit of a conversation going on there between the two. And then a lot of the shots of Jessica Chastain's character, Lucille Sharp, who is the sister of Thomas Sharp. Remind a lot of me things of, to Thomas Sharp. Yeah. yeah. Not remind me of, of the mother. Yeah. That's that's the first part. Sister, lover, um, maybe boss, manager, agent, you know. You know, agent, well, you know, all of those business associate. A lot of those shots remind me of the shots of mother where she's kind of shrouded in a few of the scenes in shadow. And I think that might be on purpose because she is almost his mother and his lover as well. Yeah. And it borrows from more of the lazy comparisons of like the innocence, the haunting, yes. you know, it's yes. got those. But I think it goes in a very distinct direction where like I I don't think that watching this for the first time or most people who would be watching this, it's unsettling to see ghosts when they're decomposing. But the ghosts pretty much within halfway through the movie, it's it's pretty clear to see that, like, the monsters are human. You're going to have to deal with some ghosts. But they're not, you know, actively like trying to avoid ghosts who are here to harm you. Like you're, you're more trying to involve yourself in this specific human mystery that ghosts are like trying to say, hey, listen, like in Zelda to point you in the right direction um, <laughs> yeah. be like, listen to those records. Uh, but which I find interesting that it's just like, oh, OK, you know, you're going to see some helpers that are disgusting. But really, you've got to worry about these people pretty obviously 15 minutes in, you know, they're the bad guys. Yeah. And I think this film is definitely in a deep conversation with Del Toro's second feature, The Devil's Backbone. It feels like a spiritual sequel to this almost in in the types of world building and lore that he uses for a ghost story this feels like if he was given 50 million dollar budget to do devil's backbone like it is it is very similar in in some of the scenes and the setups and and where the characters find themselves and interact with the ghosts especially that lower level of the mining mansion similarly giant pools (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's it's cool because I mean Guillermo del Toro for his most of his career has always been interested in like the supernatural 
I wouldn't be surprised if this was shot at his house because apparently his house is like basically like oh yeah bleak house a haunted house <laughs> yeah it's amazing like it's if, if all... you haven't seen the tours of that house they have some on the criterions for like his collection there it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing just, it's an incredible house it's just like it's like the willy wonka of like horror yeah, stuff. it's basically it's the so... winchester house but it's trying to be <laughs> yeah it, i mean we were shoot, shooting each other messages of like he has what the he has uh, Linda Blair from The Exorcist just watching TV with him, and he's like, yeah. that's my girl. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, it's totally insane. It's and like one of the body of... double like puppets <laughs> they use just sitting there in the living room. He's got a full-size Frankenstein. He's got a bunch of others. I mean, you can tell with this whole building how much he loved designing it and working on this. Yeah, so it's kind of nice to see him sort of pay homage to like these movies we mentioned like the haunted innocence all of those sort of thing take it make it his style and also really just dive into the whole gothic romance of it which quite frankly don't see a lot of them not even just gothic romances in general not even like the, the horror aspect necessarily like they're just it costs, it costs a lot of money to make them as you can see i mean these not even just the set design, but the costumes are probably cost a fortune. Those giant puffy sleeves. And you need somebody <laughs> which, who's going to yeah. really nail the like Byronic anti-hero type of the the male in a lead in a gothic romance where you got to get your Fassbenders yep. or your Hiddlestons who are going to ride that line of like somehow easier in Jane Eyre, I guess, a little bit, but in this, still making that a sympathetic lover role, even though it's like, yeah, I'm in a murder scheme where I just kill my spouses <laughs> with my do- with my incest sister, sister. But like it's she's a lot. She's 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 nagging me, you know, like I I it just kind of got away from me, you know. I won't do it to you, you know, and so, to still have that land later when he tries to redeem himself to be like, "Oh man, Tom really just handed a rough a rough hand there." I think his charisma really lifts him in this for being like as irredeemable as any man could be. Yeah, I think everyone is great in this. I I feel like there isn't any acting that's any subpar or strange. I remember on the first watch, I wasn't really sure what Jessica Chastain is doing for the kind of first half of it. But then she has a few, you know, chewed up scenes where she really lets loose. And then and then at the end, you get kind of full untethered Chastain that I really enjoy. I'm not a huge I'm not a huge Charlie Hunnam fan in general. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to say I really like Charlie Hunnam in anything. But in this, I feel like he's the least offensive I've seen him other than undeclared. Maybe I like him because <laughs> he is, you know, and I, you know, Lost City of Zed is a is a favorite of mine. I'm going to James Gray apologist. But I, I think that my <laughs> favorite thing about him is that he just comes across so much as an American Californian actor trying to do an English accent, but is English. <laughs> <laughs> he just seems to be struggling with his own native accent at all times, especially when he's doing period stuff. He just has such a strange delivery. And in Sons of yeah. Anarchy, he does not have a strange delivery. It's just or Pacific Rim, you know, whatever you want to Same say. Same with like, yeah, undeclared. He sounds like an American kid and yet he's not. <laughs> yeah, you know, or good old Nicholas Nickleby. Uh, but I will say he is definitely in my mind better as the side character. Yeah, like in The Gentleman, I didn't like The Gentleman, but he does a solid enough job just picking a lane, doing that. In this, he doesn't get a lot to work with, but he's cute. So like, you know, 
he, he can he's save not the drift day. compatible yeah <laughs> i like that he absolutely does not save the day in this movie no it just yeah. is absolutely a burden to everyone he basically involved. says he is spared it's, it's like you can stab me here yeah which is a good moment <laughs> which is definitely a good moment that i liked But yeah, I think just talking about the murder plot of all this, I think it's interesting enough that like, I don't know how y'all felt about how would anyone not assume that just everything is the Crimson Peak that's been warned about is where these people live. They have a red clay mine on a hill. So when that's a reveal later that it's called Crimson Peak, I was like, oh, we're not all just kind of aware that that's what we should have been. Yeah, I thought time. that would be like one of the things that she would. Well, but, you yeah, know, I she's think, I think it just goes with it's the okay, time, you know. You didn't really communicate much between England and Buffalo, New York. Well, about a you know, she knew where she was small moving. Estate. She knew where she was moving. I, I don't think she she was in distress because her father was dead. I mean, to the lack of so investigation, <laughs> the lack of investigation that occurred for that murder makes me seem like no one talks to each other. They didn't even say it was a murder. I think they like thought it yeah, was an accident. Very <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He, sl- yeah, he slipped and split which his head. Is yeah. Yeah. I guess done by Jessica Chastain, which I think is an yeah, interesting move. That's a great reveal. Yeah, maybe physics wasn't well known back then that if you fell what is maybe a foot and a half to two feet your entire head doesn't cave in and break a porcelain sink yeah but i mean you have to look at everybody who might have judge McKinley's i have an iphone i don't know there, i know? can look these things up mckinley got yeah. shot to the crimson murders were peak done. point also we have to remember that and we're just kind of riffing we're not shitting on this movie but like no i love this there movie. was also about eight probably went six to eight months of travel to get here because yeah. they're coming from america I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating. Like, how long did it take back then a, to get? I don't know. I, I, you got to ride a horse a from. Answer. I think we can make r- it. Ride a horse from Buffalo, probably to New York City, and then get on a boat. I, I feel like it only takes a couple of weeks to go across. Yeah. I think it's the Titanic. It's only 12, 11 years later, you know? So, how long? Write in, write in on your phones if you're listening. How long is a transatlantic <laughs> yeah, trip? I'm guessing a few weeks. But I will say, Thomas Sharp early on shows us that he can read very quickly yes because oh he my looks gosh at, he reads he looks her at entire manuscript <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that definitely stuck out to me too where he was like wow like literally cool like, ghost story i just looked down for a brief <laughs> moment when i had yeah. her meet cute yeah glances at the title I, and I this mean, is fantastic a, that was just that was just one of my notes tom hiddleston reads really fast oh yeah he, well he's or thomas he's, uh, he's always on his his game you know he's a he's a, a grifter so he's got to just cold read people but their courtship is kind of fun i liked the, yes. the candle dance scene and you can kind of see how that would be like an against type he's paying attention to me we kind of see ourselves as outsiders pairing so i liked that element that's of it. good i like the breakup scene well done, a believable. I I liked both of them in that. And you can watch it. it a second time and really read into it. Like he never, for a moment, doesn't have an earnest appreciation for her in their relationship. Like he's never actually just only swindling her, which is helpful for later, I suppose. Yeah, I mean this. I this definitely gets better every rewatch I've done. I'm finding more of those elements of it more interesting versus the when am I going to get scared by the ghost? Because that's not really what's happening. Because being scared by the ghost doesn't make sense because I'm not sure how that first ghost who's probably only ever lived in Buffalo, New York and died of something very young 
has heard of Crimson Peak. Hey, you know, word gets around. It's, this is Buffalo, baby. This isn't some podunk <laughs> town, okay? The, True. Even in the ethereal plane, you know, we're chatting. We're getting all the latest Oh, you're from, from Buffalo? Europe. Where are you from? England. Avoid Crimson Peak. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> the nerve of these people. Um, but, I mean, that kind of stuff, the rules of that don't matter. This, this film kind of sucks you in so deeply, and I was so ready to soak it all up that it. Yeah, I don't really care about oh, no, some of that no. plot. And I think the logic holds itself fine where like, you know, exposition ghosts are are really laid back and, you know, they, they sometimes literally point to the cupboard where the recordings that prove that they have a murder yeah. for profit game going with all of these beautiful <laughs> debutantes across Europe and America is like, oh, okay, that's helpful. But And I love that she was able to record that on the record with like no mistakes. That's just one take hey, on a seven inch. You know, that's impressive. It's like this podcast, one take, no mistakes. You know, we've never None. we've never paused and restarted <laughs> no. anything. No, we would never edit this moment out. No, no, never. Even <laughs> not a chance. But uh, I uh I like I do like the ghost tropes. The he you know he plays with lots of them throughout films and and I one of my favorites is the ball coming back when the dog after the dog runs out to go play fetch the ghost appears the dog comes back no ball she's sitting in the bathtub waiting and the ball just rolls back in something like that happens in a film like this where you can see how much love is all around and within the frame if you do a little thing like that I'm I'm in yeah like, oh man and the dog <laughs> is you in this movie I, I yeah, am a fan of the dog if you didn't earn it though that would kill this for me but you've earned You've earned my love so Does much. Does the dog belong to the Italian ex-wife? And they just like yeah. I was thinking, this dog yeah, and the dog just hates them. <laughs> I love that. They I love that there's a spiteful like small dog living amongst them. Yeah. It seems like they put the dog out after killing the last wife because that uh, coach driver is like, oh, your wife's back. You've been married for a while. And Edith is like, what is he talking about? And, and Thomas Sharp's like, oh, I don't know. He's old and crazy. And then the dog shows up and you see it a little bit. On Sharp's face, he's like, "Shit, I told him to take care of this while I was over in Buffalo, they New York." Kill the dog. Yeah, I guess we all all forgot about it because there is the dog is in a picture later. Right, on. right. So I, I, oh, and we we did skip over one thing. I I was interested by that they don't really come back to is that Charlie Hunnam's doctor Alan McMichael can somehow take pictures of ghosts. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, anytime, any day of the week. He's an ophthalmologist. <laughs> like, it is a strange scene where he. You'd think it would come back at some point, and it doesn't really at all. Where he's just no. like, "Oh, by the way, you can use silver nitrate to capture spirits," and she's like, "Cool, good to that, know." I'm wondering if I'm wondering if there is a longer version of this film that has her using a camera in the Crimson Peak mansion to see one of the, you know see one of the ghosts and tries to prove it to them. But yeah, that's that's one of those things where I was like, "Ah, that's really interesting," but I guess. We're just not going to do the thing that reveals the ghosts. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, they're they're out and about. <laughs> so do we are we getting the impression that the Sharps are unaware of these ghosts or like simply avoid them or like have learned to cohabitate? The, I think they're the unaware of their mansion with them. I think they're unaware because there's the scene where Lucille is like, how does she know? about mother like she's figuring out she's not drinking the tea she knows something yeah so i i, I think they are unaware of the ghost and that goes just... with the del toro sense of like availing yourselves to be helpful not to like haunt and i think that's good and then later jessica yeah. Chastain sees r.i.p tom dead at her own hand to help her to kind of you know have that moment yeah. with 
And then there's that great line, I heard you the first time. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Which is so well done. But yeah, these ghosts are just trying to communicate. They just have a very poor language set to do so. They can kind of groan and crawl and they're in their death state. If, if, you know, if they could write, maybe things would be a little easier. (laughs) They point to good exposition materials so i don't want it yeah the wax cylinder with the uh yeah the recorded message is key yeah you know and i like a lot of the motifs of this movie too you know that scene brings to mind like i like the butterfly and moth yep you know beauty and black treachery kind of hunting motif that's thrown in there's a lot done with specifically this red clay and that sense of like this damp encompassing goop and like just solid visual motifs that play to just a nice sense of dread and this ghostly precipitous you know atmosphere rather than just like stark moments of horror and i think that's why this is hard for certain people to place in a 2015 box office market you know because it's like no this is this is like a 1960s you know, fog horror film where it's just kind of like you're going to have brief moments of ah, but it's really just about setting this very different stage than you're used to and having this inherent sense of like, well, I'm here. So nothing that goes on can be trustworthy that I'm in danger, just inherent to my surroundings, you know, which I yeah, I think it, is it feels very in conversation with Sleepy Hollow. I mean, what isn't? Yeah, what isn't these days? Yes. You know. <laughs> The the tempo of it is very different than I think probably a lot of people were expecting when it came out in 2015. Like modern audiences going in, were expecting maybe something closer to like The Conjuring. And instead, we're faced with this very, very different film. But I think we all are agreement that like like the, these visual motifs give it a different tempo and like flavor that really make it stand out. Like I love the just the red clay you know, obviously related to blood in some sense, but also just like very natural, like the ground of this area is like alive or like it's it's literally like the secrets buried under the house are coming up. It's leaking from the ceiling. It's, yeah. it's like everywhere. Like You can't escape it, which I just love. It's like an, an idea. And like, I thought it was very effective. Yeah. When they're down below and you can see it slowly pouring out of those giant like sewer pipes is is pretty amazing this house would be one of the greatest places ever to have a halloween party yeah. <laughs> oh man if you're yeah. watching be this movie so be awesome. sure to get it at specifically this set um but yeah. Yeah. i think the backstreet boys did their uh music oh yeah video there too <laughs> it's all the Every same universe it's all the same the rock your body <laughs> animated pacific rim crimson peak universe it's all one thing you know but but uh, i did want to say that her coming in, Edith, uh, Mia's character, uh, she was probably like really excited to be carried into this mansion, but was probably pretty upset knowing that there's a giant hole in the ceiling and that the place is freezing. Yeah. And she that, comes from an amazing mansion also. I mean, we're talking, like, yeah. we're talking I mean, that Buffalo royalty over here. Yeah. Did you see that guy's bathroom? <laughs> it was incredible. Hands. I mean, just looking at that bathroom, I was blown away. Oh, you think he lives there? I thought, I thought that was like a country club. Yeah, I thought, oh, that, was I like thought that was like a spa. Uh, I mean, you know. That yeah. makes sense. That makes Again, more it's sense. Buffalo. You just never know what the amount of The fact that he could be. afford to go to a place with a bathroom like that. So yeah, enough. I thought I mean, that was he, an Eastern he, Promises scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. it might, But I, I would have thought there'd be more people in there. 
Oh, he gets his own more private little slot. You know, he's he he knows what he's doing. He knows people. He greases Although I will say the um, I noted the bedroom ceiling in the Crimson Peak mansion the what's the name of the hall there what do they call Addendale, allendale A- yeah allerdale allerdale hall the ceiling in that be- bedroom is amazing it's like a tin and copper ceiling that has a spire reverse spires coming down no popcorn here stalactites or stalagmites one of those two coming down that just look incredible i mean it's yeah it's, i just want to wander around that place so badly the listeners could tweet us with whether it's mites or tights and how long it takes to get yeah. from across the Atlantic in 1901. Yeah. That'd be great. And and we don't have a Twitter <laughs> for the show, so you have to tweet us individually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just write your congressman, please, or congressperson. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think one other thing that we haven't mentioned yet that I enjoyed was the fact that we're playing completely into specific types effectively you know and like there is no surprise in terms of characterization throughout this entire movie like you're just given like featured players which is so hard to do because even with like the character of rochester in jane Eyre, you know which of course i i relate to this a lot because it's a very similar movie it's like you know there's a hidden depth to him all these kind of things there's a little bit revealed later about tom edelson's character to make him not evil you know, just actively not evil, but we've got an innocent lead. We've got a loving Baxter character who's the best friend who doesn't get to be the romantic pairing at first. We've got the jealous sister and we've got this kind of swarmy bachelor type who immediately isn't liked by the father. And like all of those things hold through throughout. Like there's no real nuance to any of the characters except for a tiny bit with Tom Hiddleston. But for him to go through with two murders, I'm still putting him in that category carefully. You know? <laughs> um, but still that we're, you know, like we're able to play with those types a little tiny bit and the people who have agency and the guy not being the, the rescue hero and just getting stabbed and being a burden is helpful. But I like that you could just come through and have your featured players in a movie like this and subvert some just different expectations. And I know that's a lot of like critics hated the characters in this movie for sure. And I think there's an argument to be made there, but I think it's nice that we don't try to do too much to take this story outside of what's tropey in terms of the characterization. And you're able to play around more with the fun stuff, like the rules of ghosts and, you know, the rules of haunted houses. You know, that that's given a lot more of that eye of creative detail here. Yeah, because I think the more interesting thing is the figuring out the characters of the ghosts and what makes these ghosts different from normal just horror movie ghosts or Halloween movie ghosts that are coming to scare you or they're the villains. And I, I like that that conversation is always happening in del toro films the the people are going to stick to their guns they are who they are they're they're going to act the way you think that's kind of how humans are they are you can kind of guess which way they're going to go by previous actions where the ghosts are the new things that you haven't really interacted with they're coming from a different plane and you're scared and you can't understand them but maybe they're not there to scare you just because you don't understand them that begs the question chris do you think that people could ever really change no, Chris is right. No, no, never seen growth. I'm out. I'm the, out. They can grow, the, but not change. Yeah. It's like the, a, it's the, a the one. The, no, Jamie. The one, no. <laughs> Whatever you're about what to one, say, Jamie. What? No, it's not true. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that you know, like 
Cody's point that it really isn't trying to like rewrite the wheel and sort of it's playing with very much in the sandbox. Uh, although I would say that it does sort of break away a little bit by having this, I almost say it's like a somewhat of a trademark of Guillermo del Toro's films is that even within these sort of like fantasies or even like somewhat sometimes even as lighthearted stuff, it can get very violent, like gruesomely violent very quickly. And it's always like super unnerving where whenever the violence occurs, it's always like, oh, like yeah. it's so Spat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just I mean, the, yeah, first, the first murder is a guy getting his head bashed in. And it's not it's not like the when they come back to it and you get the reveal of uh, Lucille Sharp doing it where it cuts out right as the head is about to hit the sink. You watch the head hit the sink, I think, like six times. Yeah, you need, you need proof of delivery on that one. Yeah. It is it is smashed. And, and I would and argue I know, the, like, the most peak yeah. ugh, violent moment of Lucille finally stabbing Tom in the face. And um, yeah, it's earned. Yeah, you know, like at first was... you're like, Jesus Christ, why? Like, oh, well, that's not even efficient, you know. But to have that be the bloody teardrop, you know, to have that be, as Chris mentioned before, the thing kind of just leaking out of his face when he becomes this ethereal ghost. It's like, oh, OK, that works visually and for the character in an interesting, like, nod to the director way. That's nice. You know, so it's earned. And even the stabbing of I said, I just like the idea of, like, show me where to stab because you're a doctor <laughs> when, yeah. when Charlie that's a, Hunnam's that's character is threatened. Call. That's a good character moment when it's like, OK, like he's on our side. Yeah. You know, Tom isn't out here trying to just butcher. I, I wonder else. if it's the the stab wound is the same place that the general in uh, Pan's Labyrinth is shot. It might be. I did note or that in the cheek. this does have interesting stabbings. Guillermo del Toro is Aries go, always good at Underarm, adding an interesting stabbing. Yeah, no one's going easy here. Underarm, that would hurt so bad. Like, I was cringing. There's a lot that. of blood and arteries there. Yeah, it's bad news. Bear. There's something about a movie where if, if someone gets shot in the head and it's in the cheek, it is always so much more memorable and, like, it feels so much more worse than getting shot in the forehead. Yeah. Like, if I you're taking your like, teeth with a bullet, game over, man. That's that's, oof, not, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's almost, like, a level of, like, there's films that are, like, I'm getting shot through the cheek. Like, you're at a different level than getting shot through the forehead. This is carnage. Well, yeah, this you're, is a balloon. Yeah. You know? Yeah you're, yeah, you're connecting yourself to you can feel that pain. You know what it feels yeah. like at the dentist when they look when they shoot you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah, when they hit you right in the cheek. <laughs> yeah, jeez. That's how my dentist knocks me out. Yeah. I don't know you guys. I hope insurance covers Or that. Lucille getting completely whacked and her head smashed in with a shot. Yeah, that was that was a nice little. They don't really show her as like having a pancake face like Beetlejuice or anything when she becomes the piano <laughs> ghost, but and I mean, Mia doesn't have an easy ride in this outside of getting subtly poisoned, which is not very subtle. The thing is called Fire no. Thorn. But anyway, she takes a header. I mean, geez, the fall she gets, which they're just like, your leg's broken. I was like, she's able to move ever again. Well, <laughs> to be fair, it's turn of the century medicine. So she might have been paralyzed. And we the just rest don't was just know. A dream. Yeah, we just. Yeah. <laughs> How far did McKinley Because she hits that balcony or that railing a little and it kind of lands on snow. softens the fall and then the snow softens the fall but yeah that is a i mean everything like jamie was saying in terms of violence is brutal there's no shying away from it it's going to be the life and the ghost moments are fantastical but violence is brutal and real yeah and i think that's always an interesting stay on your toes moment because when ghosts are approaching and i think that's another thing that this movie benefits from is the ghosts are only there to be helpful figures there's no ghost patrick swayze moment where the ghosts finally like have their comeuppance <laughs> and drag somebody to hell you know it's just they're only here to help you know would have been would have been here for yeah it. i mean hey, yeah. i'm here always for here it, for but... those kind of moments 
I feel like this movie is just it's it's tight, it's well edited, it's a good length. Like I wouldn't want to see this dragged out. It's a fun, you know, gothic romance. I I I'm I'm ready to sign up for more of these, even if the plot is incredibly similar, which it usually is. I it just I love it. it sucks me. Right I mean, in. it's it's two hours that zoom by. Like even like the extended Buffalo section, which is like half an hour. I like not was, long like, enough. I adore I that. More I adore Buffalo. that section. It there's like. Before we even get to Crimson Peak, like it does such a great job of introducing these characters and making them like just interact. Like I just it, it really yeah, with good great throwaway detail. Building. Like you know, we make fun of the taking pictures of ghosts, but like Charlie Hunnam, like being introduced as an ophthalmologist who likes detective work is a little overwrought in the scene that it's done. But it's like okay, that's a character. Like that's not just like yeah, yeah, I yeah. pine for you and I am a young professional. You know, it's like, I'm the duck. That's a little bit know? of something yeah. else. So. Yeah, this is the ghost version of Little Women. Yeah, well, vote now on your phones. It's Little Women about ghosts <laughs> as well. Little ghosts, baby monsters. I was thinking Pretty and Pretty and Crimson. Oh, there you go. But yeah, I, I think this is a great just Halloween film. I think it is a fun one. Yeah, why would you call it Halloween centric? I was curious your thoughts yeah. about this, Chris. Fit it into this this playlist we've got going on. Here. I mean the the tone of it is just beautiful it's it's kind of it's dark but there's there's a bit of excitement throughout it all i'm i'm interested in the costumes and the fakeness of each person and what's actually underneath and then the whole once you get into the crimson peak house the whatever allerdale hall when you have just slowly falling leaves at first from the ceiling or from the hole in the ceiling and the bugs and it just reminds me of what fall is like here in the northeast you're you know, some of the bugs are starting to disappear from the summer. You get the falling leaves. The house starts making some noises. There's kind of wind blowing through that you forgot about. I like that those girl breathes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, growing up in a neighborhood where friends had very, very old houses that were, you know, from the 1800s that we would go and Brag. have sleepovers and it creaks and well, mine wasn't. But there, there's a few <laughs> old farmhouses. I don't know if that's I wouldn't want to live those houses were falling apart but they did breathe and make noises and and it kind of adds to that element and it just reminds me of of the spirit of Halloween and just being in this sort of world would be so much fun for a Halloween themed party just it it kind of has a bit of celebration to it and a bit of creepiness and the ghosts are scary like you want from Halloween but they're but nothing's really there to hurt you except for the people which I think is my thesis of Halloween yeah. and trick or treat. And I think going back to Candyman, as I often do, like <laughs> no candy in this film, big disappointment. But I think that he could have showed up in that jacket though. Yeah. That would be, imagine it would have fit right imagine in. Instead of, instead of Dr. Alan McMichael, that door opens and it's, it's him and it's red. Oof. Yeah. No, no, no. Anyway, outside of that, I think that the nice connective tissue between these two films, because there's a lot of sinew in this film is that, not just the basics. Oh, there's a legend and there's this kind of foreboding, read it in a book, learn of this, learn of this creature, learn of this place. All that's there. I think it's just having can Candyman being a gothic romance, really, at the end of the day. You know, like those weirdly romantic elements that are compelling yeah. in both of these films when on its if on its face, if somebody told you this, like, hey, it's a it's a murder demon and he's dating my professor, or you know, this guy murders all of his wives, but this time it's different, you know, on paper. And he's I'm not buying it. Oh, yeah. A little, you know, a little zest to add to that one. But both of them work. Both of them are compelling romances, despite 
that awkward level of detail you yeah. have to get over at the at the front. No, I I totally agree. I was that's what I was most excited about when I was rewatching Candyman. That I was just like, wow, this is way more of a romance Movie's than hot. I had remembered. And I knew we were coming into this one, and I was like, man, we've got great jackets and a romance right now, and things things coming back what else from do you possibly need in the hell. Fall, you know, jackets and romance. <laughs> well, detail from uh, you know, like. Tony Todd talked about in an interview for Candyman that apparently him and Virginia Madsen. I'm taking like, over. They would like walk. Chris, we're going back to Candyman. <laughs> no, but I'm just talking about that connected. That's the point of this playlist. <laughs> it's not letting Jamie they, talk. They, they took <laughs> to get into the mindset. Like they were very actively trying to add those this feeling of a gothic romance to Candyman. So they were doing things like horseback riding lessons and like ballroom dancing. They very well could have watched movies like Crimson Peak, you know, or ones before it, contemporary movies to get into this mindset. Show me those those B-sides. Show me those. Yeah, (laughs) like there's no scene of them horseback riding or ballroom dancing in Candyman, but they're obviously doing it to just have that energy appear on film which i think is like even that extra level yeah, that of allowing Heathcliff, that so they're drawn. rochester e- e- exactly exactly big so I think sad it's, you know, energy these films are very much in sync with one another they're they're both drawing in in some ways similarly in some ways you know this one is very literally a gothic romance whereas candy man is sort of like a postmodern gothic romance or spin yeah. on a gothic romance well, Chris, and we also didn't really talk about that uh the sharps had a child Oh yeah. oh yeah, they don't like yeah. to talk about it. Didn't work out. Yeah, you know, incest. But that that kind of that's what led to their first sin. Well, I guess it would be like third of killing their mother. <laughs> <laughs> Not the, one of their premier sins. Of the yeah, the big the, one of the cardinal ones. Can we? How? What was the? Was the clay valuable? What, what was? It, it was it, brick it, building clay. It was like it was a good sturdy. You know, this will build you. The best building in Buffalo, Clay, which is hard to believe, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it also <laughs> seemed like he, they just had no capital to mine the clay. That's why he's working yeah. on this invention to try to speed it up because like he could sell the clay quick, quick. Yeah, he could sell the clay if they had it, but they just they couldn't really get it out of the ground, and eventually the house is going to sink into it, which is just a beautiful metaphor. I want to watch that too, but yeah, I I, uh, I think Chris this teases us up perfectly for our next episode. We, we're talking gothic romance. You know, we're yeah, talking lovers we shouldn't yeah, be man. rooting and, for. We're and talking about down, pageantry. Yeah, I wrote down one red. simple sentence that I think sums up most of these films we've just been talking about. Love never dies. Love never dies. Wow. Yeah, it's true. When we get to the film for tomorrow, I think these three films will be like such a great little block of like, particularly tomorrow's film, which is, I won't spoil, but bonkers you're gonna start swiping so, right on some creeps because you're gonna yep. be like maybe that's <laughs> yeah. what i should have been doing all along i'm just gonna fall in love with the the creepiest person yeah. available i fell in love with all the characters we've watched so far in these past two movies so i I'm mean down. yeah i mean it's no it's no josh hartnett and the faculty you know it's so suave but <laughs> <laughs> gothic romance starring what like shannon sassaman and and josh hartnett <laughs> You know, bring back 2002. Yeah. Oh, man, I would have loved that. All right. But I am enjoying we've moved from the teen movies now into gothic romance, and we are full in it, and tomorrow is the... We're adults now. The end of our gothic trilogy, so prepare yourselves. It's true. It's true. But 
we're going out with the biggest bang. <laughs> so, ready yourself. We're going to sink our teeth into something great. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Nice. <laughs> Chris, take us out. Take us out. Let it end. Let it. Love never dies, but this pod needs to. You just, you summed it up. All right. For Chris, nice. I say good night to you, and we'll see you for a long, dark night tomorrow. Yep. See you tomorrow. Peace.